Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Konnichiwa. This is episode number 82 of FI Goes PC, and it's a little Japanese-centric, not gonna lie. And see the intro. Because we're on the road, we're on the road to season three of Project FIA, which will be on YouTube, hopefully on Halloween. We're trying our best. We're trying our best, folks. We might get mislaid by a pumpkin. We might get mislaid by a trick-or-treater. And if we get mislaid, uh, it's probably because someone's breached the uh, current tier system that we have in place in the lockdown in England. Yes, we are now tiered in England. Not Scotland, not Wales, not Northern Ireland, England. I think they're going to do it too. I think tears are going to start running across the nation. Everyone's going to cry. Very teary. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. But before I do, because in the corner of my eye, I can see her. She's uh, literally reading an atlas upside down. I'm not sure why. I really don't know. But that's our producer, Winifred. Say hello. Hello. We are still here in the abandoned botanical gardens. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about leaving. Can I just say, how do you know it's upside down? I can because, see from here. Because everything is relative, so what if the world is actually upside down? We've been looking at ourselves the wrong way anyway. I think it's unilaterally not true. We could be on the side, who knows? No. Depends who's looking at us from no. where in space. No, you see, because uh, <laughs> if you're walking from Scotland up to uh, London, then yes. Yeah. Yeah. Scotland up to London. Yeah, that's Exa- right. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. you're not doing it. Mm. Yeah, because we have this thing called stars and constellations and compasses and the such. Yeah. But I could be lying to us if you want to start a uh, conspiracy theory. Could all be a lie. Yeah. Or a sit. <laughs> or a sit. <clears throat> yes. But we are still in the botanical gardens, abandoned. Uh, it's now a library, really. Uh, you've got a lot of plants around you. Uh, government plants. But no. what we're here... <laughs> Discussing with everyone, we're going to open a week. There's a lot, lot, lot. Well, two weeks. We've had a fortnight off as usual. Uh, we're now here. There's a lot that's gone on. A lot of it's political. A lot of people are getting bored of political things. Bored. A lot of people are voting already and have voted already yes. in America. Yes. With their mail-in votes. Um, mail-in. Is that when you send your little lad in? My mom and dad think this. It's <laughs> mail-in. Mail's gone in. <laughs> I don't know. The female in should be better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the email in. <laughs> or uh, that's what a lot of people prefer this day and age, email. And AI. Aye. <laughs> See? But uh, here we are. Uh, we're in a situation. We're not going to talk much. I'm going to briefly go through it because a lot of people are going to want to know what I think about the vice president debate. Well, here, this is what I know. Nothing's really changed. No one's really telling you any solution. They're just PRing each other and saying how good they're beloved is uh, mike pence being the fact that he's very conservative and right wing is seemingly in love with donald trump that's running campaign you know that's what they have to be kamala and joe biden who once hated each other and our bestest of buddies she's talking like she's a very proud mom i don't know um <laughs> but uh here's here's the way you dictate what happened and this is the way you wrap it up without having to go into the detail the Republicans needed to show that their candidate had no flies on him. That, that was a failure because <laughs> uh, Mike Pence definitely had a fly on him. We all know this. Uh, it was very disappointing, but at the same time, it was very interesting. It was a completely different kind of debate to the presidential debate. Uh, but I will say this. Of which neither were really debates. Well, I was going to say that I, I'm not sure if it's ironic Mm. In the truest sense of the word ironic, not the uh, Alanis Morissette lyric version of the word ironic. I'm not sure if it's ironic that debates don't seem to really have ever happened in politics, really. It's more like my propaganda versus your propaganda, my party stance versus your party stance. There's no real debate. If it was a debate, surely it'd be more personal. Mm. Like, what do you think, individual person, right? And the other thing that I find very weird about the whole platform is that the parties agree to the platform. Mm. You've got two minutes to answer 
a question that would probably take most average people with any expertise 15 minutes to answer. Yeah. You know, like, what's your belief on life? What? You got two minutes, go. You they know, don't it's very. They rebuttals either. No. Well, they do, but they have like 30 seconds. Yeah, that's not really. No. A... But this is what I'm trying to say. It's engineered to the point where it's ludicrous. It really is ludicrous. The questions are ludicrous. Mm. The the whole thing is ludicrous. I'm fundamentally disappointed. And I said this last time, but I'm fundamentally disappointed that the coronavirus is being such a question. Because this is something we're not meant to live with more than maybe another year, perhaps, mm. if we're lucky. But they're making it seem like it's uh, it's the biggest hot topic at the moment. And it really isn't. No one can change what's currently going on. So if, say, new politicians came in, the uh, current government was disbanded, uh, they'd deal with it probably worse. I don't think there is a right fix to this. And I think most people know that. Mm. So when politicians are trying to curtail and say they've got a better solution and they really don't, mm. that's when you start questioning life. You know, like, really, dude? You know, like, why don't we just all go around in bubbles like Danny suggested on his podcast? Yeah, me. <laughs> Rebel Zen. Yeah, that's just rolling right. around. Yeah, just rolling around. The Trump's got coronavirus. Oh, well, that's, that's the thing. It's uh, it's such a hot topic that it trended to even Trump. He's caught it. <laughs> got a trend. Uh, well, we say, like it's been told there's loads of stuff and I'm not going to go into that too much either. But it was a very weird system that, you know, suddenly you get the debate, mm. suddenly he's pulled in. There's no essential emergency in this. There's no him being dragged out on a cart or anything like that. He strolls into a military hospital, which is always a bit weird. Um, and then he has a line of doctors. Like they're on a fashion catwalk or something. Like they're about to break into the musical, you know. And then this one guy comes out and he's got like what I can only describe as a doctor's jacket, right? But it's got like all of his name and his job title uh, sewn into his pocket. Here's a few things, okay? If you work in a hospital, why would you constantly need to remind everyone who you are in that hospital? They know you. They work with you. They're staff. The patients. Yeah, but it's like it's sewn into his pocket. It's like it's, it almost sense. feels like he's actually a bellboy in like a huge <laughs> hotel. Anyway, the point that I was trying to say, he was reading off a script. He didn't give you an honest answer from himself. Yeah. All the questions were feeded. So it's a very sketchy situation. Now, if Donald Trump is the only human being on the planet that can have this thing and then almost three or four days later bounce back from it and then claim he's immune and no one questions him, walks into the White House and he could poison everyone with his breath, but says, oh, I'm not infectious, then I think we should all draw the conclusion and no one really is. That's the mm. scary thing. Maybe he's not really had it. Maybe maybe it's all a big kind of smokescreen to just take the weight off his politics. Because I'm just saying, like, I honestly think like Boris Johnson had a similar situation here. I question it just because I, I look at the narrative since and when and how. Mm. And if you think about our situation in the UK with Dominic Cummings, the fact that he goes up north, he tested positive and he's hanging out and going to castles to check his eyesight. All of the narrative doesn't make sense. It almost feels like coronavirus has become a get out of jail free card for politicians. Like it's literally an untouchable conversation. You can't question it. Now, if there's any serious integrity to journalism, wouldn't you be questioning it? Yeah. Wouldn't you be saying like, hey, why are you the exception? It was kind of convenient when uh, Boris Johnson got coronavirus and his uh, wife had a baby. Who also was testing positive, but they said nothing about the kid who's perfectly healthy. Mm. Like, the thing is that I'm trying to say is like, I don't want to incite, and I definitely don't want to pull into question, but they could have the cold, a common cold, a strain of cold, and it would check up as coronavirus. COVID-19 is a different thing, and it's loaded. The, the media loads it. for coronavirus, not COVID-19. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced. It's not clear, Well, actually. here's the thing. I'm not actually convinced there is actually a COVID test. Mm. I think that it's all coronavirus strains that they're testing for. So if, so you, if, had you, had, if you had a flu, yeah. not an influenza, sorry, a cold, common yeah. cold, influenza still might trace up. And we're in a season, if you even have hay fever, it might. Yeah, right. I was always under the impression that one's checking their DNA with a throat swab and one's a blood test, which would be the COVID All the situation. tests are quite different as well. Yeah, they're very different. Weird. And there's a lot of failing stuff we heard in Selly Oak recently. Students were offered test our old stomping grounds. Yeah. 
uh, where students were offered a lot of testing uh, that were actually used. Yeah, that was a big mix-up. That was a massive mix-up. Mm. But just think about it. If you had coronavirus and it was active, yeah, like legitimately, and then you swapped someone else's mouth with a pre-used thing and then you are passing the strain along, <laughs> you know? I'm just saying, like, oh. I think we're all unilaterally around the world frustrated with a lot of stuff that's going on right now with this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I think if you're even... Like, I've talked about it throughout this whole thing since the beginning of the pandemic. And so a lot of people are probably bored of what I'm saying. But I like to try and offer you stuff that I don't think you're getting from anywhere else. I think no one's really saying common sense anymore. Like, there's an argument to, like, if this was really a deadly virus, do you think there'd be any excuse for someone to mix up a test like that? Do you think, do you think it would be that lax? Do you think it would be that casual? Do you think Trump would be casual about it? Do you think he'd walk into a hospital, come out, be like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm immune. I'm the only human being immune to this thing now, and I'm going to have my rallies to tell you how immune I am to it, and I'm superbly immune. It's all a little bit crazy. Now, Boris Johnson, essentially, like, you see the coincidence, and you see how it runs into him. Mm. I'm more likely to believe that he was ill, okay? But it's still coincidental. It still feels like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I'm not saying that to create issues where we all have to hate our government more than we already do no but there's also uh money incentive as well yeah there's it's well there's a lot of corruption yeah. and we, we're seeing a lot of exposed corruption in all of this stuff and i think that if you take something like ebola the governments of the world if they had an ebola pandemic which is seriously deadly mm -hmm. that's a seriously deadly thing okay and if we had that the reactions, the severity, everything would be way worse. It would be way on high alert. I think the fact that people can afford to protest and riot during this time, you know, in places like LA, Oregon and stuff like this, mm -hmm. I think it just shows you that no one really believes in this stuff. Mm -hmm. Really. We all think we do, but we really don't. And as far as this being super deadly, it seems the narrative, it's super deadly if you're over 65. It's super deadly if you're overweight and you're 30 something it's super deadly if for an extreme it, it doesn't make sense there's mm -hmm. no cohesiveness it, you know like kids are exempt then they're not then this guy's exempt then they're not and and i think it's really displaying every mood in the world right now you know but on a on a completely different tangent because like obviously we roll into that because it's on topic right now you know uh we move on to sort of places around the world now like we are focused on Japan. We, we're obviously doing a Toko series. Yep. It's very interesting to me, like, what's going on in places like Japan. For example, we've talked about all of this crazy stuff in Europe, in the USA, in the UK. All we're getting is Donald Trump. All we're getting is Macron. All we're getting is all of these weird political Brexit. idiosyncrasies and strange murders and often crimes and yep. things like this that are happening. We've got repeated news articles which I'll get back to in a minute, like stuff that was first reported last November and is now coming back into fashion. Mm -hmm. The Tokyo situation is very different. I've been following things going on in Japan um, ever since we left, really, because it's the kind of place that once you leave, you're like, oh, man, I've, I, I want to go back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> What's it's happening like, over there? Well, I think we discussed that they, and we may not have, but they've improved toilets in uh, Tokyo. Where they've made them transparent. Ah, uh, yes, the public toilets yeah. in the parks. Yeah, mm. they've made them all... Well, that's actually essential, because when we were there... And this is interesting, folks, because, again, we've had the opportunity to be around the world just before all of this stuff started, and there was already ground movements. Like, Tokyo, while we were there, was um, rapidly trying to get ready for the Olympics, and they mm -hmm. were doing stuff like completely re-engineering the train stations, yep. all the subway systems and stuff. One big thing I noticed when we were there was that all the public toilets were um in different shapes and uh, eras and sense of repair and destruction uh there was a few that literally had no doors left someone had taken all the soap out of it i think it was probably uh, a couple of homeless guys had gone in there and raided the soap I or there was secret soap trading i don't know <laughs> Uh, you and Pete commented on one of the bathrooms, I think, in a previous episode. Yeah, yeah. In Asakusa. Or yeah, something. yeah. We we had quite a well, we had a, quite a tropical Tokyo toilet tour. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to say, that is. But it was very culturally 
eye-opening, revealing. Mm. I mean, a lot of these places, you know the difference between male and female very, very quickly mm. because the female ones have been pretty pristine forever, but the male ones are completely destroyed. <laughs> Half the stuff's been stolen, you know. Uh, who needs a hand dryer? Mm. That's what I, that badly, really. Uh, quite a few people, apparently. But um, basically, the new look... They've completely, I think it's most of the toilets in, in Tokyo now have been unified to be these really state-of-the-art space station hubs. Space That station. when you look at face value or transparent. It's a glass box. It's a glass box. Yeah. But they all have the, uh, if you press a button, the, uh, the windows go opaque. Uh, and so, yeah. When you lock the door. No, yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's actually an option. Because some people, it is an option is for it? sure. Because wow. I watch these Canadians on YouTube, doing a tour of it, <laughs> which was really weird, to be honest, because they were stuck in Tokyo, probably through the lockdown as mm. well. They've been stuck there. And they were doing this tour of a toilet. It's on YouTube. You can find it. I think they were Canadian. It, they sound Canadian. Either that or they're very posh American. You know, very polite Americans. So they could be either. But they didn't really specify. I'm just guessing. But they took you on a tour. It was like MTV Cribs for toilets in Tokyo. <laughs> and um, it is an option because mm. the girl was saying there was a female and a male. And the girl was saying that when she was in the bathroom earlier, she saw an old guy, a taxi driver, right. just turn up, walk in and didn't bother flipping the, ah. the button. He just ah. took a dump in the middle of <laughs> Tokyo and didn't care. And, I, you know, <laughs> Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, uh, so that's a whole new thing, isn't it? Yeah. Toilet fetishes in Tokyo. I don't know, man. It's I think it's amazing because I think that it, it makes it makes sure the last person using the toilet actually cleans up. After I think themselves. I think there's about twenty five things it does, and after seeing what the old toilets were like, I think one of the biggest thing is uh, it cancels out all drug use, all mm. theft, because toilets were a situation where you could get away with something. Yeah. You know, and as we know about Asia, the temperament of Asia is like crime in society is so negative to the public in society, which it is to everyone. I wouldn't say everyone glamorizes <laughs> crime, but especially in Japan, the culture is so anti-theft and anti-crime that it can really, really destroy you and your family's reputation forever. Yeah. If you're guilty of a criminal activity. Even a scandal, you know, even a scandal. It was it was similar in Hong Kong, but Hong Kong's eased up, I feel, over time. It used to be pretty extreme over there, any scandal. Mm. But now it's sort of, there's a little bit more conversation. Yeah. Whereas in Tokyo, yeah. it's literally, or Japan, it's literally, you're done. Yeah, We're done with you. And I think a lot of the toilet situation was pretty much, there were signs of drug use. There were signs of some pretty bad stuff going on. And it was probably the only area of Tokyo that you could get away with it. Mm. Even if you got to think of this, it's going to sound really lame for us in the UK and, and the USA, we're used to our theft and burglary in, for, throughout Europe to be quite extreme diamond heist, you know, <laughs> um, guy walks into a shop with a gun, yeah. you know, that happens a lot in America, yeah. Europe, you know, we have these stings, mm. these, these cartels. It's, it's all quite insane, right? But in Tokyo, you can't get away with that because it's so policed that the best you can, if you're like a hardened kleptomaniac and you didn't have a choice, <laughs> okay. the only thing you got is soap, right? <laughs> soap and, and androids. So you're like, oh, man, I really want to steal. And I go, what can I do, man? I can't do it from a shop because everyone's going to get that I did it because they'll be all over the cameras and, you know, they got security cameras, even mm. in their security cameras in Tokyo. So what can we do? Right. Well, we go to the toilets and nick their stuff. And I think I honestly think that these transparent things are quite ingenious mm. because, yes, they give you privacy. They're way better quality, like they way better quality. So cool. Yeah. It almost looks like you want to live in it. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, it's a grand design. But like tech. at the end of the day, it's almost like, OK, we're going to try and solve the criminal element of this. And of course, it backfires a bit when they just flick a button and you can't see through the door. <laughs> right. But I think it's a lot easier to see, okay, that guy was in and, you yeah, know. Yeah, and how long. Yeah, yeah because to get in, people can see you. That's yeah. the brilliant thing. Yeah. It's not a pake when you walk in. It's a pake when you get in. Yeah. So everyone's going to have an eyewitness at least somewhere. And your conscience camera. is going to yeah. be like, you know, Yeah, but it's, I, I think that's a very smart move, actually. And I think that it'd be interesting to see that being a global trend. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that would fly in uh, certain parts of China. 
where you basically get a cupboard and a hole in the floor. <laughs> or, you know, even France is can, you know, has that. Uh England, we our public toilets in England are very bizarre. They they range from like what I can only call a Victorian train station type of vibe <laughs> to um basically a slum. And they shut really early. It's locked. Some of ours, really well, early. I don't really want we shouldn't really have toilet humor too long. That's the thing. We've got to move on from this conversation. Because <laughs> it really bogs you down. Yeah. Um <laughs> but where, when we uh when when you're looking at Tokyo right now, one thing I'm finding interesting is they that Japan had one of the most extreme responses to this virus. Mm. Okay. And they literally just locked down Total lock. completely locked down. Yeah. If you were Japanese and abroad, you couldn't come back. Nope. It was complete shutdown. Their cases haven't really risen that that high. Like there's not been numbers circulating over the thousands. Which is interesting. You can put that down to are they reporting it? Mm-hmm. You can put that down to uh, are people just really honouring it? I think that Japan is a situation where they would honour it quite heavily because people get very afraid of stuff like that. You, yeah. you saw that when we were out there, just you know, just because they might have caught any uh, Western disease from Pete and I. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of them. <laughs> just they haven't been named yet. But um, it's an interesting situation. I think the the saddest thing about all of this is when you see our series, when it launches, and we will be talking intermittently about it, we'll have reflections and stuff whilst it's being aired and Mm -hmm. stuff. But the thing that I find really sad is that we were gearing up for the Olympics back then. The 2020 Olympics, everything, it really feels like a movie narrative because you're really like, Everything felt so much like like taken for granted. You mm. you go back to last year in 2019 at the end of November or whatever where we were. Yeah. And we'd just seen some pretty crazy stuff in Hong Kong, blah, blah, blah. But we're getting to this point where we're looking 2020, the Olympics in Tokyo, that's amazing. And we've seen all the uh promotional stuff. We had seen that that Tokyo's gearing up, like I said, with the trains and the overhaul. There's a huge effort. To clean everything up and, yeah, and modernize of, uh, it. Construction. Yeah, like real huge. Yeah. And um you just get that feeling like, oh well that's gonna happen in, in a mere mm-hmm. matter of months. You know, we were I think we were closing in on the uh opening ceremony as well. I think that was gonna happen sort of February time or something. Uh, no, it's usually summer, isn't it? I don't know. It, it, it happens it quite a bit before they do the run with the torch. Right, they were yeah, already yeah. advertising it. That's mm. my point. And then you saw all of the um pikachu stuff and when you go into like the souvenir shops they had all of the olympic mascots and things like this yeah and, and then the games and yeah stuff. yeah and then you just think to yourself well super mario within seconds of us leaving yeah and coming back here really the whole world changed everything changed you know and you think to yourself that's a weird thing because pete went a bit bananas of olympic souvenirs he went a bit bananas with a lot of souvenirs. We never really discussed how, but <laughs> no, how many souvenirs he, he actually had. He had a very good yeah. shopping spree yeah. experience. And when I you guess. shop with a unicorn slayer and he's buying souvenirs, you ask him one question, who's that for? Yeah. And obviously the answer is me. <laughs> yeah, I'm got, getting it from me. a million friends. So. I'm going to give him some chopsticks, <laughs> that chick a glass and a couple of noodles to that dude, but the rest is for me, uh, which is smart. That's sensible. <laughs> I, I agree with it. Um, but yeah, like... It was such an incredible sense when you were in Tokyo. And, you know, we'd had some really hard stuff happen in Hong Kong. That's the thing that I think is really intriguing about when you see these series back to back. So Hong Kong's experience. Mm -hmm. We did our best to, you know, sketch out what was really going on and keep it fun and friendly. But I think the overlining feeling that you and I got as the residents there, as being people who've lived there Mm -hmm. for years, is that you feel like the liberty was changing. Everything was starting to flip. Curfews yeah. were being enforced. Yeah. Stuff was... Hong Kong, folks, if you've never... Self-imposed Sure, curfews, if you're actually. listening and you've never been to Hong Kong, before all of the uh, protests and everything like yeah. that, Hong Kong was literally a place open 24-7. Yeah. You could walk down any street, whatever. Something was always going on. Mm-hmm. It was super liberal. It was safe as hell. Like, honestly, really safe. One you of could the be, safest cities yeah. in the world. I had an experience where I got ill one night um, due to, like, the heat. Mm. And I was sort of uh, doing my best to to not bath all over the street is the <laughs> only way I can say it. And a resident, and bear in mind, there's so many age ranges. He was probably in his... Uh, 70s i would say 
checked on me out of nowhere. He was checking to see if I was okay, hand on my back and everything, mm. nursing me. Hong Kong is that kind of a place, all right? And the trust that you have in the society there and how friendly it is, it's, it's bar none one of the most friendly places I've ever been to. I'm not just selling it as that. It really is. And when you started seeing this turn, it was basically very fundamental. So you had a lot of kids postering everywhere, all dressed like cult members. They were all in black t-shirts with slogans on, putting all this stuff. The groundwork in Hong Kong was literally changed. Mm. It just, no one was out at night. Yeah, the Everyone mood was shifted shut away. so yeah. quickly as And well. if you were out at night, towards the end especially, last November, literally, mm. it was dangerous. It was dangerous. It was uptight. People were looking yeah. for violence. People were throwing things onto the yeah. road. And it was it was mostly youthful people. Yeah. Exactly. And you saw you saw the kind of slice of Hong Kong life. Um, you saw a lot of the people that were in the, the dodgy trades, shall I say, I mm -hmm. won't tell you exactly what, terrified running across the street, you know, to the point where you had tourists being accused of being in the CIA just because yeah. they're tourists. Yeah. You know, like, it was a nightmare situation. And by the time we got to Japan, we were in a free country. You could really feel that. The only thing with Japan is obviously the respect and the the um, etiquette mannerisms yeah. of, of living in Japan, which we had to learn very, very, very quickly. Different. <laughs> it's like basically being in a Victorian class in England. And if you do it wrong, you get caned on the backside, you know. When you do it wrong, you know you've yeah. done something you get sent, wrong. You get sent to the perpetual sal <laughs> of toilet stealers and mm. uh, the people that steal soap from toilets. Society considers you that, basically. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. But, um, yeah, just to see... It was such a relief when we got there. And then obviously we had the uh, typhoon, which wasn't fun uh, with a single glass plate window in a sort of semi skyscraper. You know, it was pretty scary. Mm -hmm. But I think the the overall thing that I can take from that time was that they were building up to the Olympics. And yeah. there was so much excitement and you really felt it. I've, I've lived in three cities that or near three cities that have had the Olympics. Obviously, Hong Kong was one of them. Yeah. Um, we we avoided London by being in Hong Kong, which was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been to the Winter Olympic place in Piancavallo in Italy. We actually went on a skiing trip with a school out there. Oh, cool. Um, so that was a former one from the 70s. Mm. Uh, and it's it, it's amazing to see how they're locked. It's a time lock because they're really proud of that. There's nothing else to really be proud of, just that association. So the whole place is still that 1976 chalet skiing lodge place. Yeah. It's a very Stanley Kubrick-like setting, uh, that place. But then you have uh, Barcelona. I was in Spain for that. We had friends of ours that were working as volunteers for the staff out down uh, in Barcelona in the, in the north of Spain. And you get this excitement. I remember Hong Kong being really, really emotional for me mm. because Beijing Olympics, uh, what people don't always know, I think, uh, from around the world is that they had loads of stuff happening in hong kong as well like the equestrian stuff yeah. the horse racing yes. and it was such a huge impact in shouting mm -hmm. places that have become famous if you followed it because of the riots and the protests yeah you know these places were my sanctuaries i loved going to uh, newtown plaza and yeah like i've got so many memories of places like that and when you just see like it's been ransacked mm -hmm. and hatred now and you know Back then, it was so unified. We were very proud of the Chinese Association. Everyone was okay. It was all quite amazing. And everyone was happy, you know? And uh, you just think to yourself, like, Tokyo was having that the, the beginning of that. Mm. And there was some unprecedented stuff happening. New Emperor. Mm. Um, and then you think to yourself, well, that's now a dead year of Olympics. This whole 2020, which has so much marketability for know, opticians. Right? Just an optician. Yeah. Yeah, 2020 vision, man. That's the irony of this year, man. It's not irony. No one it's saw it coming. Yeah, no one not saw it coming. Not 2020 vision yeah. at all. Not, not even hindsight. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not even past it yet. But all I'm trying to say is, like, is it's very sad because you think that this whole year, globally, really, yeah. has been eaten away from everyone. Yeah. And everyone was really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's very sad. You know the only people who've had a 2020? Hmm? Animals. They're the only people. People. <laughs> they're not people though are they not how do you know have you taught them they've uh they've they've been enjoying the time away from humans i would say 
We've seen um, the goats starting to walk into Welsh towns during lockdown. There's some very strange. Well, Pandas nature's. I think nature's under the impression it can reclaim. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you've like I can just tell you from all the fields that we've lived in, the bird activity is insane. Yeah. Really is, and I'm not talking the uh, bikini babes that are out there <laughs> sunbathing. I'm talking the other birds um, in the sky. Yeah, crows on a rise, ravens, a lot of a lot of very kind of dark Halloweeny type setups. We've seen falcons. Yeah, there was a Eurasian hawk that that yeah almost crashed into my window. Yeah, yeah, we've seen a month. lot of. <laughs> there's been a lot of weird stuff. Storks are back, which means obviously more babies are being delivered to everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's it's been a very it's been a very strange time really mm. has i've seen bugs in england like insects i've never even seen here mm. i don't even know what they were <laughs> there was one that was like a, a black and red wasp okay yeah with hairy sort of membrane like a bee that had gone totally mental Evolution? like if you take an ever like, well no it's like a bee but if you injected it with psycho power mm -hmm. and it went red and black like all good movies should have a bee that is injected with psycho power i'm just saying uh it's that very strange stuff. Life is strange. Very strange. Well, yeah, I've been playing that too. There's a, a <laughs> for folks that don't know it, there's a game on the PlayStation and PC, I believe, maybe Xbox, unilateral, uh, maybe, maybe multi-release, called Life is Strange. I've been playing a sequel to that. Life is Strange Two. Too. Yeah, or as I like to call it, Boys in the Wood. Boys in the yeah. Wood. Boys in the Wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's more. That's what it is. Two boys in a forest. Dot com. Uh, it's an uh, intriguing game. It's very autumnal and it walks into the fall, into the winter because mm. it starts off and it's all the leaves changing and then it goes into snowy Christmassy. The music setup. is very nice. It's all it's beautiful. It's a very good atmospheric. game. Yeah. Mm. Don't nod. Create it. Distributed by uh, Square, Square Enix. <laughs> oh, you're telling me not to nod and I'm, no, I'm, it's not, the, I'm not it's nodding. The, what, it's, what? It's, it's the people who made it called Don't Nod. Don't Nod. Don't Nod ever. Yeah, that's a subsidiary. Don't Nod at all. Is that... Is that a base. weird name for a company? I think it's good. It's all good. Um, Square Enix released it as distribute, but yeah, no, it's a really good game. A lot of uh, it's weird. Like that. That's probably the the best game to play right now mm. on any platform because it ties into so many things that we're living right now. Deep isolation, certain things we can't go back to. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, when was it released? I believe two years ago, maybe. Right. 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think. Someone a lot smarter than me. I, oh, no one's actually said this to me uh, in a comment because no one comments, as you know. But uh, we know I, did, I did turn around, uh, uh, <laughs> I forget if it was last week or the week before when I said about Ricky Gervais hosting the Emmys. Yeah, right. I was only joking. I know it's a Golden Globes. Everyone knows it's a Golden Globes. We discussed it. We had a whole podcast about it. I'm just saying that in case you're fact-checking me and you're like, why did say the Emmys when it's blatantly the Golden Globes? Well, I, know. I didn't know, so I, know. I didn't know it was a joke. I know. I just like leading people up a gum tree. <laughs> That's all I like doing. Like, I like you know, gum trees. It's like saying Donald Trump just won the uh, MTV Personality of the Year. Everyone's going to believe that. Really, they are. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So what happens when you drink Sunny Delight too much, Donald Trump? Sunny Delight. Yeah. Do you remember that? They used to power cars with it. It's like Is a. It, that, that's it's like a, juice a really drink. gross. It's really gross. I th here's the thing, right? Drink. Back in the eighties, we had this uh, promo for it. It was released here in the eighties. It took maybe nineties, maybe early nineties, but it took a while to get to the UK, probably because. We couldn't identify half the ingredients, okay? I don't now, think we ever had it in Hong Kong. You do, you do. For sure you do. I've seen it out there. Well, they have it now. No, so you, more... you've had it for no, a long I don't time. Think yeah, we have. you have. City Super. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're being Hong Kong people. You don't know what City Super is, folks. It's a market. Supermarket. It's a pretty much like market. Whole Foods, but way more elitist. It's kind of like a mixture of Harrods and Whole Foods. I would say 80% of uh, City Super is imported. So yeah, one hundred percent. That's, that's so 80 stupid though, because yeah. Sunny Delight or Sunny D or whatever it is is so gross. But if you go to City Super and you've never yeah. heard of it, well, it's this almost is like a uh, what do you call it? Um, a, an elite item, yeah, like a prestigious exactly, item. Yeah, which well, is there's it, there's this thing that it's funny, man, because this is now a total deviation of anything <laughs> important. But people are interested, I'm sure. 
my experience in life, obviously, when I've had quite a few very rare experiences, a lot of people don't get to live what I've lived because it's first. It's a lot of firsts, mm. you know. When we used to go to Spain, uh, southern Spain, we watched Malaga and the area Costa del Sol grow from what I can only call was a sandbox. It was literally that. Mm. And it grew a bit like LA did from sand, from desert, you know. Yeah. And I wasn't around for the LA building. Uh, I wasn't around in the 1700s. So I wasn't no, there for that. No, you're not that old. But I was there for the <laughs> Costa del Sol building, yeah. right? Now, most of the infrastructure was there in Frangarola and areas like this, Malaga, Benal Medina, Torremolinos and all this stuff. But the thing that was interesting was um, how hard it was for people to find creature comforts, okay? Like you'd used to go to a certain shop in the market and they'd probably have this one jar of Marmite. Sure, Or yeah. Vegemite if you're Australian. Uh, it's the same thing, but the Vegemite's Vegemite. better for sure. It's way better. I'm just saying. I hate Vegemite. Uh, but basically, you'd have, I say, don't. like, Welsh okay. cheddar. Yeah. You know, because... Imported. This is the thing. This is, this is a conversation about real racism or prejudice or ignorance, okay? One thing I've always found really intriguing is that there is a fear for a lot of expats around the world. Uh, cultural, mixed cultural expats. They find themselves, say you're Japanese, you find yourself in Germany, right? Mm. And you're kind of like, oh, I know some stuff because we have that in Japan, like mm -hmm. a Frankfurter and a Brosfurt and all of these kind of different things that they've got. Beer, know what that is. Um, <laughs> but it's like completely different culture and it's a culture shock, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I found is that Asian expats tend to be more intrigued by that. They like differences, yeah. you know? It's Let's like, it's it. time to let my hair down and be yeah, a bit yeah. nuts here because I'm, <laughs> I have to be so well behaved where I'm from. For Western expats, it's completely different. And this is my cultural experience. I went there, you know, with my family when I was a kid. And I'm the only one of us that literally lives in the jungle. Mm -hmm. So my family is very stereotypical British family. I'm the guy that's out there hunting snakes with sticks in the forest. <laughs> I'm the guy that no one wants to talk about. I'm a family secret. You keep him in a cupboard and mm -hmm. don't talk about him. He just comes out to entertain us once in a while. And once we're done, we lock him back up. Um, that kind of a thing. Harry Potter. And yeah, exactly. Uh, wizard. <laughs> My nieces would love you if, you if they drew that conclusion. But basically, um, well, my niece, Jess, wouldn't care. But basically, we're in a situation where you're young and your parents are like, oh, we need to get, like, tea, and we need mm. to get, like, uh, cheddar and all this stuff, because they're not going to try manchego. They're not going to try all of the, the, the local stuff. They need creature comforts. And no one in Spain cares about tea. Everyone in Spain is drinking coffee, coffee yeah. you know, or, you know, pretty much, like, uh, Bacardi, white rum. <laughs> like, you know, it's a different culture, right? Mm. So most of the infrastructure, as I was saying, was in. And it was super 80s. And realistically, it hasn't changed much. Realistically, it's amped up. It's got way beyond what it was, but it hasn't changed much. Saying that, though, we were in a Pueblo, so a village in Frangarola where we have this place. And basically, in a village life, it's a very different setting. It's not like a typical, you go and uh, rent out a hotel or an Airbnb or, or something like this, and you get this kind of window view of Spain. This is you're in the heart of an actual village mm. and you see the reality. The reality is they have to have high security armed guards mm. because there was terrorist threats, ETA and all this stuff. And, you know, you're basically in what I can only liken to a, a Mexican resort where they have armed guards because of cartel interference and you yeah, can't leave your resort. You know, it's not safe. So you understand similar mentalities to a lot of these war-torn places. And what you're seeing is the growth, the civilization growth, the commercial growth of a place. And I remember that our biggest problem was, oh, we need, we need like uh, English cheddar. We need bacon from England. <laughs> we won't get anything local. And, you know, I think that as you grow up, and you're and you're older, you're almost like looking at that like ludicrously. Mm -hmm. Like if I went to Spain, the last thing on my mind is anything English. Yeah. Really is. I think a lot really of is. um British abroad kind of have that bad uh make that bad impression on the locals. Yeah, it's well, like, no, well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like the expat community globally is like that. Like mm -hmm. if you think of all the expats in Hong Kong, ignoring Hong Kong, but yeah. they bring all of these items across, you get sunny delight. That's my point. There's a long-winded way of saying. <laughs> this prestigious 
piece of garbage, glow in the dark, horrible drink that's probably given people all kinds of neurological issues. Mm-hmm. You could literally put in a car and it'd run faster than it does on petrol. I'm sure. I'm and sure. Yet, and yet it's if you DNA like tested, times more expensive If you DNA tested Sunny Delight, I think it would terrify you what's in it. It's almost like, let's put any chemical we can in it, like some toilet cleaner, a bit of bleach, some, uh, I don't know, de-icer, and then just chuck a bunch of vitamin tablets in. Everyone will love that. You know, it's literally the worst thing. And we'll thing. call it a kind of orange juice. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah. And, <laughs> it doesn't and even taste I just like remember, orange. I just remember the adverts when it launched here. Mm. Because it's American-American branding, like Oreos, very simple thing. Oreos, okay? They completely storm our market, and everyone thinks they're so amazing. They're so amazing. Like, these things are the most amazing things ever that they miss the point. They're not as good as what we already have. Mm-hmm. They're not as good as what we already have. Like, for everyone's Sunny Delight, we've got Tropicana. That's another American brand, but that is actually really good. It's good stuff. Mm. Tastes like orange juice for a start. It doesn't taste like paint remover uh, with a lot of sugar well, in I it. I quite like the supermarket own brand juices yeah, I know. here. I know, yeah. You, know, you guys But it's all, fruit. I mean, it's the same model, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's like when you turn around and start thinking, like, wow, like Oreos have stormed into our biscuit shells. I won't Twinkies say cookies. The other day. Yeah, Twinkies for like seven pounds yeah which is equal like 10 bucks more or less 10 12 <laughs> bucks and in, in, yeah for, for a pest yeah yeah movies. like that's a prestigious yeah. item really <laughs> that is like that's got more chemicals than anthrax you know like that's pretty bad for you i'm just saying like we're in a situation i think where that kind of expert it's funny isn't it because we're so proud of our stuff when we're abroad we want it all mm. like our bacon i'm not going to trust your bacon you know mm. And the thing that was interesting about Spanish bacon when I was a kid is you had bones in it, like cartilage bones, because it was actually real. Like there was no... It's not processed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is the thing that's so amazing about Europe is like when you actually live Europe for five minutes, you're getting an honest thing. It's all better. It's all far better. Yeah. Far better. It's not even it's not even the elitist chefs who are like, oh, it's so much better than you. <laughs> it's not them. It's It's the fact that it's more honest. Mostly because it can't afford the processing. Yeah. So it's cheaper just to be to keep it. Well, it's real. a massive education. I remember going to uh, Frangarola, my granddad, mm. when I was a kid, and you got like you, here's the thing: you're influenced by Nigerian culture because mm. yeah. there's so North many Africa Nigerians well. in Spain. You know, yeah. you you get that Moroccan vibe. The mm-hmm. spice markets they're almost identical. Items coming in from Morocco, you yeah. get an e- Egyptian culture. It's all incredible southern spain's an incredible place really is it's really really it's like it's perpetually grand theft auto vice city it's perpetually (laughs) miami beach it's perpetually scarface in a sense but in a magical way if that even it's a thing it's like high crime cartels but magical everyone you should (laughs) go there for a family holiday no it's it's a beautiful uh... place it's raw it's real but it's laid back it's Mm. casual but everything is so much better when it's local mm-hmm. that's the thing that's insane so rather than going to say southern spain or even japan which we were talking about earlier or hong kong and saying like we want to implement all of our stuff on you lot you know mm-hmm. like because we're better than all of you which is the kind of western brain right we'll go to our british bars yeah. thank you very much like, we're never going to a go spanish to hong kong one. and go to pizza hut yeah because here's the thing i don't understand the argument like hey i'm going to travel to spain i'm going to buy a house in spain a summer retreat Mm. but i'm never going to learn the culture what's the the language yeah what's the point of that you know what's the point why make that decision why not just get your holiday home in blackpool it doesn't make sense because they want the sun you guys have a very fair fair enough but you can have you can have sun in australia just go there you know they speak english they you do. Know? And you'll get all the British, <laughs> but you'll realize how bad British food is when you go to Australia because whatever you have here mm. over there, it's going to be better. Way better, better. Better. But like what I was saying is, it's funny. My parents were always kind of obsessed about finding little things. They, they were keen to try other stuff. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But it, it changes the diet of the Spanish. So you get all of these Western imprints on Spanish diet, like stuff Spanish would never do. And I saw English it, I, I recognized it early. Not just obvious stuff when it's more like, right, so we're going to have a soup as a starter, a main as the Spanish don't eat like that. The Spanish eat like here's a massive platter of stuff. We just share it. Yeah, so like there's no start. There's no there's no formality. It's like Cantonese mm-hmm. food. 
you know, if you're eating in Hong Kong, Cantonese food folks, if you're not Chinese and you're used to English Chinese takeaways or American Chinese takeaways or European Chinese takeaways, it's very much a case where you're looking at appetizers, mains and all this stuff. In Hong Kong, a meal can last about four or five hours. And you just get dish after dish after dish after dish and it's whatever all plunked around. Like. And then it's whatever you want. And there is an order. There is a sense of appetizers. And dessert. Right. But, but if it's, you wanted to order dessert first, no, yeah, no one's yeah, going to Yeah, yeah, no one's going to bat an eyelid. But it's basically <laughs> this thing that's very, very common in Europe, in Italy, in France, yeah. in Spain. Regional places, real places. The... Um, mostly polished areas where families come together and share what they've got it's an mm -hmm. amazing thing and i would just like to say like if you go expecting i feel like we learned this through pete on our trips but if you go expecting stuff you're familiar with you're not going to find it mm. but if you open your mind like pete did he's an amazing guy to travel with our unicorn slayer he's very well traveled and he's killed a lot of unicorns of different culture <laughs> but I'm just going to say he's an amazing guy to travel with because he's so open-minded about stuff. Mm. And I think that's part of the the joy of traveling. If you want to go to Spain and see your sunny delight on a shelf or your Marmite or your Welsh cheddar, um, you miss the point because there's a, alternatives that I think you will crave for when you leave Spain. Mm. You will be craving for, say, like I had these things like, and if you're Spanish listening, you'll know what they are, like Bolicao which is like a, a sweet bun with chocolate in the middle. And right. I went mental for that when I was out there. And I had the like chocolate covered balikau. It's not great. Mm. It's kind of routine. But it's the little things that if you open your mind to try, it's very Spanish. You miss stuff. Like I remember the panaderias in Spain are like the bread is so incredible. Mm -hmm. And where we lived uh, every morning, four or five o'clock in the morning, you'd smell it yep. coming out of the, the bakery. bakery. And that just tells you as a Smells. kid, it's a fantasy land because I'm up at four or five in the morning as a kid. Mm. It's not because it's bad for me. It's because there's so much wonder around, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that Hong Kong, especially like when you're traveling, Hong Kong has traces of what I saw in Spain. In fact, certain streets where we live in in uh, the new territories in hong kong it's basically like very very similar to spain mm. when i was growing up from everything from the ground bricks the tiling they use on the block paving it's very very similar stuff to to what frangarola was like 60s, building 70s, up yeah but it's it's like architectural stuff. we've watched our place this is what i mean by a lot of first we've watched our place go from what i can only say a very small centric town to one of the main hubs in hong kong in our lifetime together you know mm. it, it like it's weird like things seem to flourish and a lot of these kids now may see that they might they, they might see that as themselves you know i think when you look at how the continent of africa is developing ghana mm. and nigeria and all these countries in in africa yeah they're really blossoming and it, it there's a lot of scary stuff happening still right but when you sort of get that balance and you think what Africa could be in like 50 years time, I mm -hmm. think it's self developing, which it needed to from yeah. day one. Um, but yeah, seeing these items, like these luxury items that are very, very, very negative for you. Mm. I mean, one thing I will always think was quite incredible about our time in Tokyo as a reflection was when we were followed around by people selling lint chocolate. Oh, as yeah. if it was like gold <laughs> yeah you've never had this before mr europe uh, well we came from yeah. this and it's not the best it was marketed like the poshest yeah well lint thing. lint i'm gonna say this pete's probably if he was here, he'd punch me in the arm but he'd probably agree with me afterwards but lint is basically the hard sell working class middle class chocolate that makes you feel like you're having luxury but the real luxury really? is in belgium yeah it's not it's not good mm. it's not good we have brands. Okay, look, California has C's candy. And mm -hmm. any Californian in the world is going to go, yeah, best, yeah. best yep, thing yep, ever. Yep, and it yep, is. Yep. It's amazing. It really is. The equivalent to that was Thornton's in the UK. Right. And Thornton's was a chocolatier. Legitimate. When I was a kid, you walk in, they had melted chocolate, they'd mm -hmm. form it and put it in the molds and all this stuff. Mm. Uh, that's all gone. It's now wholesale. Yeah. Mass but, produced. Yeah, mass produced. But when you compare those two things to lint, it's not even a debate. Okay. And then you go to Europe, where Lint's from, the Switzerland. obviously worked on me. <laughs> well, you go to Switzerland, or you'll go to Belgium, Yeah. and it will be completely better. Mm. You'll have chocolatiers, private chocolatiers, like a panaderie, like a bakery in Europe. You'll have 
a chocolatier in Belgium for sure. Like France has loads of them, right? Mm-hmm. That make lint look obsolete. It just looks like cheap Cadbury stuff, you know, like Hershey's, the equivalent of. No, well, it's still better than some other brands. I think it's the advert that psychologically destroyed your brain because they're pouring it into a sphere <laughs> and you feel like that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's nice stuff. I'm not going to say it's the worst, but it's commercial, right? Yeah, it is commercial. And there's no way in hell that you've got chefs going mental doing billions of lint balls for everyone it's that's not happening folks mm-hmm. it's all machines you, you can totally tell but um it started from a real place like werther's originals right mm. i mean that's a seriously weird thing okay this is my final nostalgia i love how this is deviated into nostalgia and things that we had when we were kids i've just turned it into that but we're coming up to christmas and once upon a time we in England had a culture of these things called like butterscotch candies. Mm. Okay. Which is what Werther's Original really is. Okay. But we didn't have that. It's American, Werther's Original. Big time American thing. And it never existed here until around, I would say, the late nighters. And then you suddenly had all of these adverts popping up at Christmas and it had completely taken our culture of butterscotch candies Mm. that my granddad used to love he used to have 10 of them in his pocket <laughs> he had like rotating sweets that was one of them it yeah. was like that uh cabris eclairs and lemon sherbets and americans aren't gonna get any of that that's fine i'll, I'll translate it one day but basically these butterscotch hard butterscotch candies he used to have all the time mm. and so Werther's came out and they mass marketed to the point where they made your brain think that the butterscotch candy you'd always seen was theirs and they completely dissolved the market. The corporate power of Worlds Originals killed a British hard candy. Ooh. Completely. Yeah. And so then you have all of the Worlds Originals soft with chocolate in the center, which, by the way, is a Cadbury's Eclair, which nearly killed them. And it's very clever marketing, you know. Mm. That was always Grandy had that, like in the advert, your granddad, your grandy, whatever, right. your grandpappy. He always had were the originals in his pocket yeah and it was almost like modeled on my granddad <laughs> really weird i always get uh confused as to the difference between butterscotch caramel and toffee because they all kind of, to me they're all just sweet well butterscotch <laughs> i would like to believe is it's when softer, you make isn't it no no it's rock hard what? butterscotch i'd like to believe is uh toffee made with whiskey but it isn't toffee no, caramel sticks to your teeth when it softens. Okay, so... Oh, I don't know. Here's the thing. They're all more or less the same thing. Butterscotch has a lot more butter in it. You can taste the butter. Right. It's very buttery, okay? Mm-hmm. Caramel, um, it, it's more like treacle almost, mm-hmm. yeah? I can go into the cooking methods of each one and <laughs> tell you the difference. There is quite a big difference yeah. between all of them. But the hard candies were yeah. always hard. They were never soft. So um, they all come from the same place, mm. sugary confection. Yep. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you, the icon of Sunny Delight has led me to all of these nostalgia trips. But I think that the message I want to say is like when we were in Tokyo, one thing that still remains startling to me to this day on reflection, and that's really what this is all about, is just how... Okay, so you see developed places like Hong Kong, you've got these separations like um, a city super supermarket. If you're on the island central, uh, you basically have an expat community. So everything's multicultural. You mm-hmm. see loads of familiar things. That's where you'd go if you're missing your like Maltesers or something <laughs> stupid, right? Like they do really good chorizo actually. Like if you're Spanish, city super does like yeah. really good if you miss something you go to city super yeah it, it's it. expensive but it's really authentic yeah that's the thing that's amazing about it whereas if you go to um tokyo uh it's all kind of amalgamized into culture like we literally went to a japanese i think it's the most local bakery you could find in tokyo yeah. local is in in haksan mm-hmm. ran by a mom Mm-hmm. of you know it was literally like you're in an anime episode like literally <laughs> just walk in there and everyone knows each other Tiny and little got, place almost like little baskets. windmills that the kids are holding <laughs> and it's like oh my god it's bread you know but this place was european perfect yeah it was european perfect folks like i think we had a crop monsoor and 
sometimes you I had starve. A curry pan. Sure, sometimes yeah. <laughs> you had the most non-European thing ever. <laughs> sometimes you starve for what you know. Mm. That's the thing that's interesting when you're in a place long enough yeah. and you've just done a rice diet or something like you starve for what you actually know. Yeah. And then you'll have bread mm. and it'll suddenly be like, oh my God, this is bread. What? <laughs> right, like a new thing. Yeah. Something you take for granted. And um, this place was as good, if not better than a lot of places I've been to in France. Mm. It was really that good. Mm. And I uh, wish I knew the name because I could do a shout out. Not that I'd ever know. But I think this is the point. Like Japan is so mixed culture that you're never an arm's length of something that's been kind of um assimilated into the japanese yeah. culture that you recognize i There's think a... if they like something they work at it and then they claim it as their own well you know? like... actually japan i think you learn this from food anime yeah it's very uh instructing uh thing to watch like food wars big time i haven't seen uh, that yeah one. no it's 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 pretty cool i know from iron chef which is an actual reality show mm -hmm. that they did like competitive cooking show the Italian chef was doing Japanese Italian, wasn't Italian. Yeah. So they, they're trained yeah, right. French Japanese. Mm -mm. So this is a French sauce. This is a chicken. This is what we do with it. And then they do weird stuff like they'll add some squid ink or, you know, stuff that French wouldn't do necessarily. Right. Yeah. But the base lesson is there. Yeah. And that's where Japan is. Yeah. Japan has taken the five great cuisines and Japanified it. Mm. It's assimilated the yeah. culture of it. For the Japanese palates, very smart. It happened in different eras. Like Showa mm. had the Neapolitan pasta, which everyone in Italy is like, what the hell is that? Too many ingredients for it to be Italian. But it's war rations. It's war rations in a, in a pasta dish. Sure. And it's funny to me how America, especially Hawaii, uh, and Asian countries have made serious delicacies from war rations, mm -hmm. even to this day. Spam. Hong Kong's crazy <laughs> for it. Like, you could... I think that most people Condensed in England milk. would go to someone like the Black Country Museum, Evaporated which is uh, set around World War II and just after. It's a Victorian museum. For people who don't know, we have talked about it in the past. But I'm just going to say, I think most people would get a more authentic World War II experience by going to Hong Kong for breakfast. <laughs> because the rations are super... Literally what you add in the war. Spam, eggs... When the noodles change that, the macaroni and stuff, but mm. it, you get the vibe. Yeah. And that's still a delicacy. That's still an everyday occurrence. Japan doesn't, you don't have so much focus on it. It's assimilating in a different way. But I think, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place because Tokyo, especially Tokyo, I know by the time you get to Yokohama and, and you'll get to Osaka and places like that, the culture completely flips, mm -hmm. you know? But Tokyo is so abundant that everywhere is a city super, really. You're never too far away from something you're comfortable with, mm. ever. And that's what always baffles me when people go to Japan and say they're completely culture-shocked by it. Yeah, It's almost like hype, because mm. it, it doesn't feel culture-shocked at all to me. It feels like nostalgic Britain, where we used to have tons of CD shops and toy shops and stuff. Yeah and high streets i mean like when you look at shibuya and you look at the shopping centers there it was it's literally like our high streets used to mm. look like in la and england and around europe i think know? it's probably the shock of not being able to communicate like it's a language thing rather yeah. than a culture well thing. read read write and speak and yeah. i'm pretty sure a lot of the culture shock was initially way back you know when japan first opened its doors kind of a deal yeah but um, nowadays, it just feels so familiar, mm. so familiar. There's a lot of bizarre rules uh, with places like uh, entrance fees. We talked about that. Hong Kong preps you for that because those weirdish rules are kind of, you can see them in Hong Kong. They're not as stringent. But I think that Japan, Japan, if you're European more than American, is less of a culture shock. Mm. Because an izakaya is basically a tapas bar. Mm. You know, we know this stuff. Yeah. It's routine. And if you are European and you've lived the European life since, say, the 80s, most of us have literally been around Europe. Most of us really appreciate that there's this super culture in the continent of Europe and stuff like this that's mixed and influenced. And I think Tokyo really is that. It really is. So if you are European, I think you'll get on better than, say, an American would. Hmm. 
as a culture, first time culture. Yeah. Unless you're American, that's super attacky. That like that really digs Japan. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah, it's interesting stuff. So anyway, we had a bit of a spin. Sunny Delight inspired <laughs> me. I don't know why. It's rocket fuel. You know how our government say they want to do green energy? Just yeah. use Sunny Delight. <laughs> I think you could send orange stuff to energy. space on it, yeah. Well, don't say orange energy. Whoa. Oh, my God. That's a Trump affiliation. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks, folks. We are going to try and get back week by week as soon as possible. We're still waiting for the keys to our, our treehouse with no leaves. It's still on the cards. I will say this in closing. By the time we see you next, we'll be very close to launching. If not, we'll have launched Series 3 of Project FIA. We'll talk about that next time. Be safe, everyone. Try and see the bright side of everything, even if it is orange and got sunny delight on the uh, label. Uh, if you like Oreos, sorry for offending you, but there are better biscuits on the market. And if you're American, cookies. I know, I know. But we call <laughs> cookies cookies and biscuits are biscuits. And they're not scones that you have with freaking fried chicken. That's a scone, what you're having. Now we could have this debate all day long. Why well, it's a buttermilk scone. Anyway, you're all going to hate me like Nancy Pelosi hates the British. Uh, anyway, I'll see you later. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye from me. Take care.